do your research. I would say that uh, you have a great opportunity to get in early into what I I truly believe is going to be the next big thing in, in real estate. Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's best ever guests as they share it with you. It's the best ever advice with none of the fluff. Let's go. My mom always said it's rude to keep people waiting. Well, best ever listeners, that's exactly what you're doing if you're not funding your deals with our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land. Patch of Land is a crowdfunding marketplace that matches up your deals with accredited and institutional investors who want to invest in your deal. Patch of Land literally has thousands of investors ready to fund your next deal. You don't want to keep them waiting, do you? And guess what? It's a lightning quick process too. In fact, the average patch of land loan closes in just seven days. Is a five to seven day close faster than how long it currently takes you to close on financing? And just think, wouldn't it be wonderful to have all of your financing needs taken care of for all of your deals? How many more deals could you close if you already knew where the money was coming from? With Patch of Land, you no longer have to worry about the financing part. They've got it taken care of for you. Go to Patch of Land and find out how to get your next deal funded by the thousands of investors waiting for you right now. Go to patchofland.com. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-A-N-D.com. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show and... We are going to do episode number two of the best crowdfunding crash course ever presented by Patch of Landon. I know last Sunday, February 1st, we talked about where crowdfunding has come to, how it has evolved, and where we're at right now. And Adapia DeRico from Patch of Land, the CMO, um, gave you a really good overview of every single question um, that, that you might think of and every single answer to those questions. And so last week was all about um, you know where we're at right now. And today I'm very privileged and excited to talk to you and um, to hear from the panelists that we have today on the future of crowdfunding. Because as I mentioned last week, what I, I'm a huge fan of Tony Robbins and he talks about the power of anticipation and how you know everybody can uh, look to see where the market's at right now, but really the power is anticipating what's on the horizon. And most importantly, okay, so we know what's on the horizon, but most importantly, what are we gonna do about it right now to prepare ourselves for the, that whatever's coming? And that's the purpose of today's conversation so that at the end of this conversation, um, hearing from these wonderful panelists with tons of experience in the crowdfunding space, you'll know um, what they're expecting to see in crowdfunding within the next, you know, say five years um, and longer, and what the heck you should do about it right now so that you can be one step ahead of the game. So, with that being said, I'm going to very quickly introduce our esteemed panel and let them um, go in a little bit about their background, and then we're going to get right into it. So, first and foremost, um, I'd like to introduce Jason Fritton, who is the co-founder and CEO of Patch of Land. Jason, how's it going? Hi, not bad, Joe. Thank you very much for having me on today. I really appreciate the opportunity. Hello, everybody. 
Um, as Joe mentioned, I'm the founder and CEO of Patch of Land. Uh, my background is is actually more on the technology side. Um, I learned about crowdfunding very early on when uh, Congress first started talking about it, and I knew that there was a huge opportunity in real estate in particular for bringing access to capital to what we consider to be kind of the fundamental bones of the real estate market, which are the smaller developers, um, the folks who need constant access to capital to, to continue scaling their company. Uh, and I worked to help lobby for, for passage of the, the crowdfunding exemption in the, the 2012 Jobs Act. We were successful and we, we started Patch of Land up immediately thereafter. Um, Patch of Land primarily focuses on the debt side of real estate crowdfunding. And essentially, we write loans to individual developers uh, that have uh, good projects that, that they believe in. And then we take that out to the crowd and we brand our developers. And we give them access to thousands and thousands of uh, individual investors as well as uh, some institutional investors like hedge funds and REITs as well. Um, and, and we fund those loans through the crowd. And then we come back and we do it again and again. We're, you know, our aim is to be kind of that no-brainer, reliable source for, for capital um, for our, our developers. We, we're a relationship-based company. Now, George Newberry, founder and CEO of American Homeowner Preservation. Hi, good afternoon, Joe. Thanks for uh, having me on. Uh, American Homeowner Preservation crowdfunds the purchase of pools of defaulted mortgages from banks. This is typically done at big discounts. We then work with the families whose loans we now own to define, try to find solutions to keep them in their homes, often with modifications. If the families don't want to stay or the home is already vacant, we'll try to find the family and offer them cash for a deed in lieu. We then can then sell the property and turn that vacant home back into an occupied home, You know, hopefully with uh, for instance, Patch of Land's developers, they can come in, get a loan from Patch of Land, buy the home, rehab it, and then resell it. Uh, if, if no one responds, then we end up foreclosing on the home. But the, our, our goal is to uh, find a consensual solution whenever possible. And we've seen crowdfunding. We started out as, as a traditional hedge fund. We had a minimum investment of 250000 We operated that way from 2011 to 2013. Once we saw what was happening with the Jobs Act, we said, hey, this is an ability, this is a mechanism or a tool which we can use to now attract new investors. And you can go online and our minimum investment is now 10000 which is a much easier entry point for new investors. And, and we see them, um, it's broadened our base a great deal. Lou Feldman, partner in Goodwin Proctor's Real Estate Capital Markets Group. Thanks very much. Uh, it's nice to be with you today. I'm the founding chair and partner of Goop and Proctor in Los Angeles. I'm a real estate and securities lawyer for online 506B and C offerings, which people call crowdfunding now, which uh, uh, is in a wonderful state of ascension as a capital source and a capital aggregator for real estate. I'm also the chairman of the UCLA Zyman Center for Real Estate. And I'll warn you now, I'm a former comedian, so my jokes are really bad, and I apologize. <laughs> and uh, Goodwin Proctor has about uh, 900 lawyers, but of our lawyers in nine offices around the globe, about 160 of us um, uh, comprise one of the largest and most active technology practices uh, in the United States. And combined with our real estate group, which uh, is ranked number one, uh, for five years in a row. I think we just won again as the North American Law Firm of the Year for fund formation. And then uh, Private Equity uh, Real Estate Magazine also gave us a two-time award for transactions two years in a row. 
we have combined these uh, groups and uh, we're able to provide many crowdfunding companies, including Circle Up, Fundrise, Patch of Land, Fundality, uh, and investors like Canaan Partners, Guggenheim Capital, SAP Ventures, and Upfront Ventures, uh, access to uh, advice uh, in this uh, very exciting and uh, rapidly expanding area, uh, which we view as very much part of the future of the capital stack uh, going forward for real estate investment. And last but not least, Steve Cinelli from Primark, founder and CEO. Good afternoon, all. Uh, thanks, Joe, for uh, including me in this uh, illustrious crowd of um, entrepreneurs. Uh, a little background on me. I'm a banker by background. I uh, literally raised on the corporate finance side. Uh, most relevant to crowdfunding is I founded or co-founded a business back in 1999 by the name of Offroad Capital. And in some ways, it was sort of a progenitor towards the uh, in the crowd space. Uh, we had built a private capital market system. This was all Reg B offerings. We had about 12,000 investors worldwide, about 20 different countries, and we could raise oh between three and 20 million dollars for a uh, a company all unregistered, you know, under Reg D in about a week. So it was, we sort of proved the model that. By using technology, it was a much more efficient capital formation um, effort. Uh, that was sold in, I think, 2002. And then I started looking at building another capital market. And rather than looking at the corporate finance space, uh, I became intrigued with the housing finance um, effort in, in the United States. If you think about how people buy homes, it's sort of a single investor, single owner proposition uh, using a tremendous amount of debt. And... For a uh, for the housing space, which the economy, uh, the housing represents about 20% of the economy. So ha- as housing goes, so does the economy. You know, the asset level or the the value of homes in the United States is approaching about 20 trillion. It was up around 26 prior to the uh, financial crisis in 2007-2008. Uh, it's rebounded a bit to about uh, you, know, t- you know 20. It was down to about 15. So we've seen some uptake there. And uh, annually in 2014, there's about a trillion dollars of mortgage finance, whether it's purchase money or refis or modifications. And we think about 20 to 25% of that should actually be equity. We believe that um, homeowners take on too much debt. And one of the articles I wrote for Housing Wire suggested that are we really indenturing people versus allowing them to invest? And so our approach is really bringing to market a new source of risk capital, namely equity capital provided by largely institutional investors, and make home ownership more sustainable, economically friendly. Um, the equity, of course, takes both, you know, participates both in the upside and the downside. And one of the problems we saw in the, uh, the crisis and thereafter, where people were over leveraged, their equity got wiped out because the lender always has a, you know, sort of a senior interest. And so we're really looking to remake the housing finance system, both in the United States, and we've had conversations abroad too. So it's a, you know, hopefully a paradigm shift in in housing finance to allow first-time home buyers and others to uh, move into the housing space. All right, Jason. Here is the question: All the best ever listeners have been waiting to get the answer to, and you're going to kick it off. What is the future of crowdfunding, and what does it look like? 
Uh, The future of crowdfunding is big, just to put it as simply as possible. We're going to see it become more and more pervasive and more and more mainstream in every single industry that has a need for access to capital, which is to say pretty much every industry that's out there. Really all crowdfunding is doing is allowing direct access between investors and sponsors. We're really just kind of disintermediating the middleman and creating efficiency in that process. In the past, investors have always had to go through several different uh, intermediaries to invest into projects that that they may believe in or that they think are high opportunity. They've had to go through brokers and agents and syndicates and and so on. And everybody's taking their cut. And by the time we actually get to the sponsor, it's gone through so many different levels that you know, it's become inefficient. It's become inopportune to a certain degree. Um, and just like every other aspect of the, the internet and the e-commerce uh, system, we've seen a level of efficiency be, being created that's um, that's really revolutionized the entire system. Uh, crowdfunding is bringing that to every single industry. Um, and uh, real estate is by far one of the uh, the greatest beneficiaries uh, you know, uh, of this new channel. Um, I, I think at this point, the amount of contribution uh, in capital to, uh, through crowdfunding real estate is is probably higher uh, than just about every other industry uh, combined together, if not uh, close to it. And I think that, um, you know, as Lou mentioned earlier, right now we're working with 506B and 506C, which is, is unfortunately limited to accredited investors. I really do believe that we'll see this opened up um, in the fairly near future, um, likely not this year, but still in the fairly near future to unaccredited investor, kind of the holy grail of real crowdfunding, which is, you know, allowing everybody to make the, the decision of, of, you know, how to put their money to work with them, uh, work for them. And I think that really will open up, though I think it might happen through more of a, uh, you know, a backdoor channel. Um, you know, right now, we've, we're waiting on Title III to be released and, and Title IV, which creates the Regulation A+, which within a great deal of limitations and a great deal of protections allows unaccredited investors to invest in real estate and other industries through crowdfunding. But there's so many downsides to that that many portals and many companies, uh, uh, in fact, like mine, may not be able to use them in in many or or most situations. But there's been a pushback uh, to the federal regulations uh, and the proposed federal regulations from individual states like Texas, like Georgia, and so on, that are putting their own crowdfunding regulations into place in response to the the federal proposals. They're they're trying to, uh, in in certain way, beat the, uh, the federal system to the punch there. And in doing so, they're opening it up on their side to unaccredited investors. For example, in Texas right now, um, for projects less than a million dollars and for investments less than $5,000, unaccredited investors can invest as well, but they have to be Texas investors into Texas projects. And uh, so that, that's hard to combine with you know, a, a national base, but we're also starting to see enormous amounts of other states kind of create similar uh, uh, regulations, similar uh, allowances for unaccredited investors. And I think that as we start to hit kind of a critical mass there on the state side, it's going to push back to the federal side. And as long as we don't see any huge, massive landmines blow up in this particular industry, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure back on the federal system to, to open this up to, to to more unaccredited investors as well. It's just kind of a prediction at this point, but uh, I, I think we'll see that, that borne out. Um, in the short to medium term. And I think you're going to see you know, every single industry right now that um, that might have an issue raising capital. Let's just use as a, a 
you know, a very, very fringe example, uh, medical marijuana clinics. Um, there, there's an enormous amount of interest in them. It's a very cash-heavy, very lucrative uh, system, very controversial industry, uh, and they cannot be, be funded by, through the traditional means. So crowdfunding can be one of the only methods to be able to found and, and uh, or to fund um, businesses like that. Uh, and they might be great opportunities depending upon your own personal politics, your own personal uh, opinion of, of that particular industry and the numbers behind it. And uh, you know, the, those particular industries couldn't really be funded um, in, in an uh, in institutional sense otherwise. I think we're going to really start seeing more uh, examples of, of industries like that. And we're really, really seeing it here in, in real estate. As uh, most of uh, our listeners know that um, you know, real estate has been a hard industry to break into in the past. And crowdfunding at its core is just you know, um, bringing access to smaller developers who might not already have the relationships with hedge funds and private equity companies to gain access to individual investors that really might believe in what they're trying to do. Um, whether that's to rehab a, a, a single-family residential property, to rescue an entire neighborhood block uh, in Detroit, for example, or potentially to you know, repurpose an old firehouse into a woman's shelter. There's an enormous amount of opportunity for non-traditional projects to get funded as well. And I think where that's going to continue to increase, we're going to continue to expand, and you're going to see crowdfunding becoming more and more mainstream. And best ever listeners, we're going to follow, I'm going to follow up with some questions uh, on based on what Jason mentioned. Um, once every one of our panelists goes through their prediction for the future of crowdfunding. So um, if you have questions, if you're thinking of questions, I'm thinking of questions too, and I'm going to be asking them based on his responses because anytime we're talking about crowdfunding and marijuana in the same sentence, we certainly need to um, follow up with a couple of things. So George, what is the future of crowdfunding and what does it look like? Right now, the real estate crowdfunding platforms are raising, and there's about 75 platforms, if you can believe it, although the, the majority of the capital raising and deals are being done by the, the um, maybe 10 or 15 platforms. Hey, regardless, everybody is raising a pretty modest amount of money in the aggregate compared to all the debt and equity that's being provided for real estate. Uh, I see a, a, a tremendous growth. I think the transparency that's provided by the platforms for both investors and developers. I mean, if you're a developer looking for cash, traditionally you could find private parties to give you money. You could find hard money lenders. And I'm just thinking about you know, non-traditional uh, loans such as uh, hard, uh, not bank loans to buy a home, but actually to buy and rehab a loan or for some project that needs to be uh, renovated an apartment complex or commercial building that's maybe underoccupied. There were sources, but they were it was a it, it they were a, and are a um, an opaque market. You know, someone knows somebody, and you can be introduced to somebody. But it wasn't something where you can go online and suddenly find multiple sources that are providing similar products, and you can compare and shop and find the best deal. And that that really wasn't out there for this for real estate, and now it is. And certainly for real estate investing. A year and a half ago, you, you truly had to know somebody who was doing a deal. And then if you did and you wanted to do the deal, the minimums were often a quarter million dollars or, or some significant amounts. Ours was a quarter million dollars. And, and if you weren't ready to, even if you had it and you were accredited, lots of times you'd say, that's just too much money. But now you can go on, you know, our platform's 10,000, some other platforms are 5,000, 1,000. I think some other raises have been, even been done at $100 at a time. Now you can 
get comfortable. And once it works, you can put in more money. Uh, but I think the growth, because of that, the growth from both sides, the demand from developers and rehabbers and other people looking for capital and the investors who are trying to expose themselves to real estate, pull money out of the equity markets and, and diversify, I think demands from both sides will be tremendous and are, are tremendous. And the potential for growth um, will, it will accelerate greatly. So I'm very optimistic uh, that this market will find. And, and like Jason said, it's not just real estate at this point. You know, there's marijuana businesses being funded. Um, there's business loans, uh, startups raising capital. There's a, a lot of capital raising is going online. I think real estate is one of the easier, more easily understood classes. And that's where a lot of the growth will be. Lou, partner in Goodwin Proctor's Real Estate Capital Markets Group. Where, what does the future of crowdfunding look like and what does that have in store for us? I really appreciate the opportunity to comment um, just to give a uh, perspective in 2012, there was about 2.6 billion in crowdfunding monies raised globally online, and that's including all private placements. Uh, I think, as Jason said, those private placements are really taking what's been occurring through bricks and mortar and paper and pen, and then putting it into a an internet. Uh, format where people can uh, monitor their investments, can uh, decipher the good from the bad, uh, make their bets, and uh, get comfortable either through a, a site that, uh, like a patch of land that syndicates loans where they're um, continuing to have some interest in those loans uh, oftentimes, uh, or other sites where uh, people are raising money for equity. Uh, the approach uh, in either case is, uh, is going to grow and more and more is coming online because from 2.6 billion in 2012, uh, last uh, uh, year we think about 10.4 billion uh, was raised online. Uh, and there's a belief now that perhaps 20 billion or more uh, will occur through uh, online placements before the end of this year. So we're seeing a doubling almost every year. Uh, Congress in a report uh, not long ago, when, uh, as Jason was mentioning, they were discussing Title III, which is the uh, ordinary person's, the smaller person's ability to invest in crowd uh, crowdfunded deals uh, legislation. The Congress thought maybe 95 billion would be raised um, online at some point, and that would be more than all of the private equity and the public markets raise. Uh, and it's uh, it's a fascinating idea that all of the private equity in the world aggregated won't even come close to what uh, what's going to occur online. And uh, some, including EquityNet, uh, believe that the average of 300 billion could be reached by 2025, and that seems to be awfully optimistic, but you can see that everyone's quite bullish on it. I think the future of crowdfunding is uh, is actually quite good. Uh, there have been very favorable comments from the SEC uh, and FINRA, and uh, both have been working with the industry to understand the uh, pitfalls and proclivities of crowdfunding. The SEC is likely to finalize rules for Title III, the smaller person's um, access to crowdfunding, uh, or, or at least folks who make less than $200,000 a year. 
Um, and that would allow, uh, instead of the 9 million people who can invest today as accredited investors, uh, more than 50 million non-accredited investors to invest in private companies for the first time. But it's probably before, we're probably not going to see until 2016 or 2017, uh, those Title III crowdfunding platforms operating in the market because there will be registration processes and other things which will have a higher level of scrutiny than what occurs today, which is basically Reg D offerings, as we call them, Regulation D, Rule 506C. Uh, offerings. Uh, those are to more sophisticated investors. And just like today, uh, those investors um, will continue to look for deals. Uh, what crowdfunding gives them, what accredited investor crowdfunding gives them is, uh, as we've been discussing, uh, a, an access uh, portal to transactions which they would never see in the past, whether it's a $5,000, dollars investment or a $250,000 million investment, oftentimes only institutions get to see real estate transactions like pension funds and fund advisors and others. But this allows uh, the ability to go directly to investors. Uh, those investors don't have to pay a lot of middlemen, as was mentioned. And uh, that economic friction, when it's taken out of transactions, it's surprising how it goes to the bottom line and how much more is available for the actual investor versus the manager or the financial intermediary is sometimes there are four, four or five of them. Um, here, there's one or two. Um, we'll also see, I think, in the future, individual states continuing to adopt interstate crowdfunding rules that allow resident non-accredited investors to invest in private companies and private uh, and projects, real estate projects within their state. Uh, this is what Fundrise had been doing uh, to allow it to redevelop small projects in Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, where they have intrastate funding rules. They were able to allow people to put in as little as $100 uh, because they complied with the state rules and state disclosures. Um, once the SEC finalizes the Title III rules, the interstate crowdfunding will probably be preempted somewhat, and it'll be the federal rules that will be followed. Uh, there will still be non-accredited investors who want to invest in deals within their state, but many won't be uh, too thrilled about being hindered by the geographical constraints that exist. I think the uh, the other aspect of crowdfunding that I'm optimistic on is the international uh, investment. There are uh, quite a few pitfalls that relate to international investing. Uh, there are anti-money laundering rules. There are uh, uh, terrorist uh, laws, uh, many uh, logical and, and important laws that need to be followed. But it is clear that particularly the United States and other countries that have the rule of law um, will prosper as those with money in other countries uh, intend to have that money go to a more stable environment. We're seeing a lot of Russian money in the United States, as you can imagine. We're seeing a lot of money coming from China and Korea, uh, from uh, the, the uh, Latin American countries, and a lot from Africa. And so we're going to see, and it's not just that Nigerian prince who wants you to take his money. They're legitimate people actually bringing money. There, in. There's, there's the comedian in you, right? <laughs> exactly. So we're seeing a lot of the 
international interest. And that is an untapped resource for most folks who want projects. Certainly EB-5, the uh, green card uh, $500,000 to $1 million investment uh, program that requires a project generate a certain number of jobs, and then green cards are issued to the investors. Uh, that continues. Lots of friction in those deals versus a transaction like uh, uh, one that any of the, the parties on this call uh, or on this show will uh, will offer, uh, because what uh, – these folks offer is the ability to look at something which is truly curated. It's, uh, it's established. Um, they don't want to make a mistake. Uh, so they're going to uh, open up. The investors are going to uh, open up and try to invest in patch of land deals or, uh, or uh, anybody else's deals. And what's very important for listeners as well as the participants on this call is that you have to know the source of your money. You have to be very, very careful. And if you're dealing with offshore dollars, that's going to raise a lot of legal issues. So I, I just mentioned that. Um, I think uh, the other aspect of the future is that uh, what you're doing, Joe, with presentations like this and questioning like this is following a trend, which is the crowdfunding industry is going to get a lot more public awareness this year. Uh, Lending Club went public uh, with uh, Prosper's valuations, with OnDeck's recent IPOs uh, being quite successful. Um, it looks like there are going to be a lot of folks who are uh, turning uh, to this, trying to understand it, and hopefully there'll be, uh, through that, much less fear, much better practices, and a transparent and logical uh, exp uh, and exponential growth in the use of this particular vehicle for aggregating and deploying capital. Steve, founder and CEO of Primark, what's the future of crowdfunding look like? Well, I think the future looks uh, very rosy. Um, this last year in 2014, about $750 million was raised on the real estate crowdfunding platforms. The top 15 uh, really uh, were did about 80% of the volume. I think this year we're probably going to be up around $2 billion in real estate crowdfunding, a significant uptick from uh, 2014. You know, five years out, you know, easily 150 to 200 billion dollar market and while the the rest of the gentlemen commented on you know providing capital to sponsors one of the faster growing areas of real estate financing online is through uh, residential mortgages for example lend invest a uk based firm did about 100 million pounds or about 130 million in residential mortgages just in the uh, london area the greater london area last year um, I think the the interest in crowdfunding real estate opportunities goes in tandem with really a global shift in allocation to real estate, um, you know, from institutional investors and a broader universe of investors, um, you know, with the croppiness of the equities market, the anemic levels of um, the fixed income market. Um, Institutions are really looking at allocating more to uh, not only real estate, but you know this this falls in the class of alternative assets. Alternative assets, in fact, if you uh, take a look at the institutional market, um, institutions with under ten billion dollars of assets under management have allocated about twenty six percent now to alternatives, of which 
about 25% of that 26% is in real estate for institutional investors over 10 billion in assets. They have about 30% in alternatives. And alternatives are becoming a, a very fundamental strategy, not only for institutions, but individuals. Um, in fact, uh, I think one of the quotes is that just an allocation of one and a half percent out of some of the, the larger funds contributes another $50 billion in the U.S. in investable capital dedicated to real estate. Uh, so I think the crowd space will, will follow the general consensus of um, asset allocation. Um, I think the uh, uh, I think one of the areas that uh, uh, the last gentleman mentioned relative to the public offerings of Lending Club and On Deck and, and a handful of others uh, will that drill down into the real estate space? I think there is a certainly a legitimacy of of crowd financing. You know, a lot of this you know over I think there's about 1,200 platforms worldwide. Um, the, uh, and certainly real estate, as I said, is sort of an, you know, is leading the way in a lot of respects in terms of interest, um, some prognostications, you know, what, what does look like in the the next coming years, as I mentioned, I think the volumes are going to remain up. I think there, I still believe that, uh, Probably 20% of the platforms are going to do 80% of the business. Uh, how they differentiate themselves is going to be very interesting. How they capitalize themselves, I think, is going to be more interesting because the uh, the size of the transactions that take place in the crowd are relatively small, and I think the business models and revenue models are are somewhat suspect in terms of can you scale and build a, a fairly decent business, you know, lending club and prosper didn't reach profitability until they were doing over a billion dollars in originations. And so I think the, uh, the business models are, you know, are something to be looked at. Certainly outside capital is finding its way, whether it's institutional, the venture community, strategics. I think that's going to be critically important to the scaling of uh, the crowd industry. Uh, let's see what else. I think that's, that's uh, I guess, a little bit of a reflection for now. All right. Well, I have uh, some follow-up questions that I'd love to ask the group and um, some specific questions for each of you. Um, And the first question, I'm going to take us to a very dark place uh, because right now the picture is really rosy and very, um, you know, very desirable to be in the crowdfunding space. But I always want to do devil's advocate and look at it from the other side. Um, But before I take you to a deep, dark place, a quick word from our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land. So uh, thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Um, I would, uh, um, before we go to this deep and dark space, I would encourage uh, anyone out there that has a potential interest in in real estate um, to consider us. Uh, Check us out at patchofland.com. It's one of the best ways uh, that we've seen in decades to to, um, be able to invest in real estate. You can invest from your couch and your pajamas in two minutes directly from your mobile phone uh, if you wanted to. And uh, for our developers out there looking to make great projects happen, uh, we have the ability to close in as little as five days and to to bring your visions to life. So please uh, check us out and give us a try. Jason, you are awesome. I was planning on running an actual uh, voiceover that I recorded, but we're just going to go with yours instead. Nice job. (laughs) (laughs) That was totally ad lib. I love that. All right. Best ever listeners. There you go. (laughs) Jason's available for voiceovers as well. (laughs) 
Wow, that that's money. All right, well here here it is, and I, what I'd like to do is if if each of you let's just do the same order, so we'll just keep it simple. If you can answer this in sixty seconds or less. Um, so right now, everything's good. I mean, we've got uh, so much potential for crowdfunding in the future, especially once, um, you know, some, as, uh, as, as you mentioned, Jason uh, and Lou, you know, waiting on Title Three and Title Four to be released. And one, once those things happen, then um, that's going to open up the floodgates a little bit. What would kill the momentum that's been established. So devil's advocate, uh, in, there's, there's somebody or something out there that is just going to put a halt to all of this. Uh, what would that be? Jason, go ahead. Sure. So um, this is Jason with, with Patch of Land. As I mentioned earlier, as long as we don't see any landmines blowing up, this, this industry is going to continue to just boom massively. And, and when I talk about those, those landmines, that's something that keeps me awake at night. Um, I have nightmares about it, and it can happen. The issue with massively increasing access to capital is that in certain situations, projects that should not get funded, that should never get funded, do. And in that particular case, you know, that we are going to have projects that, that go sideways, whether it's from my portal or from other uh, uh, companies, there are going to be particular projects that, that probably should never have been started to begin with. But now they have capital. Now they can move forward. Um, the problem is, is that investors are tied up into those particular projects. And if they go bad, sometimes they can go very, very bad. Uh, real estate is a great asset class because at its worst, at its absolute worst, there's always something there that you can go throw a rock at. Uh, but still, I mean, it, it's a hard asset, and people can expect um, that, that things will go wrong from time to time, and that there is a risk that investors might lose all of their funds. So I think that uh, what could what could cause all of this to uh, come tumbling down is if we have way too many landmines that that blow up, and and it takes along you know grandma and grandpa's pension money along with it. And we're very very concerned about that. George? Yeah, this is George Newberry, American Homeowner Preservation. I echo Jason's concerns. You know, a couple of bad deals uh, on these platforms will be chilling for the industry. I'm sure we can survive, but it will be, uh, it will present challenges that have yet to be tested. You know, what happens when a deal goes bad? And you can look back to the, they used to do these tick deals, the 1031, you have a whole bunch of uh, real estate investors who would um, pull out of their, um, sell apartment buildings, different types of properties, and pull them together and buy really nice properties, often like triple net lease properties. And when the, mark, when the crash happened seven, eight years ago, you know, those guys were all, there was a sponsor before, but the sponsor was now pretty much gone. The guy who put together the deals, the syndicator, he was pretty much gone. And these guys themselves, and a lot of them lost a lot of money. And they also, having to kind of fend for themselves, there may have been a hundred investors and, and to kind of put together everybody to make decisions was tough, and I think uh, people need to, or platforms, we're hoping or are planning for, you know, kind of worst case scenario. There's, you know, the economy is still not on great, super strong ground. So I think, you know, there's always potential for um, for disruption. You know, you look at Europe and Russia, things that are happening that couldn't have been fathomed two months ago are now happening, and then, and so that's one one concern. The other one is regulatory. You know, there's still some murkiness that. Uh, around the laws that are allowing all this to happen. There hasn't been much in the way of enforcement actions. And I think everybody's interpreting the regulations as they, you know, through them in tandem with their attorneys. But once an enforcement action happens and we see how the SEC and FINRA, how they're interpreting things, I think that's when you, you get some case law and you say, okay, well, this is what we're supposed to do. We don't have that yet. 
Lou? Uh, this is Lou Feldman with Goodwin Proctor. Uh, several years before the Jobs Act, um, peer-to-peer lending sites like Prosper Marketplace and Lending Club um, were the were early players in crowdfunding. And, you know, there are four areas generally in crowdfunding. There's uh, the charitable types, the rewards or product types, the debt types and then the equity types and debt and equity and rewards and some of these things all get mixed up. But in the beginning, it was all really the debt side, which they call peer-to-peer lending. And Prosper and Lending Club took the position when they first came out that the lending transactions didn't involve the sale of securities under federal law and so they didn't require registration with the SEC. But as we all know, the SEC didn't agree. And I don't know if people know, but in 2008, they shut down crowdfunding platforms like those two, and then they reemerged later on. But the message from the SEC in particular is clear. Crowdfunding may be a new and technologically innovative way for people to make investments and for business to obtain capital, but the old rules still apply. So if crowdfunding platforms are selling unregistered securities without satisfying the registration requirements, they can get into trouble today and they will be shut down. The key uh, is to make sure if you're a site that you're compliant, that you know what's going on, that you're doing everything with the benefit of mental supervision, as, uh, and that may take the form of CPAs or lawyers or other business advisors. Um, but whatever you're doing online is subject to all these federal statutes and regulations. There will be people, and every day there are people violating those and then taking self-corrective action. So the plane is flying. It never flies straight. When you put it on automatic pilot, it always zigs and zags, but still it will land. But right now, I think quality sites, those that have best practices and disclosure, those that have best practices with respect to registration or knowing the uh, the exemptions for security so that registration isn't required. Um, those that track and carefully uh, integrate with their community of investors so that they're open and free-flowing, uh, those are going to survive. There's always going to be bad things happen, but when the lending uh, meltdown occurred, every bank didn't go out of business. The big banks had problems. The government did their actions. Many small banks were picked up, but banking didn't end. Crowdfunding won't end. It's just there are issues. And again, if you're dealing with international capital, you have to worry about money laundering and you have to worry about tax issues. Uh, If you're dealing with domestic things, you have to worry about making sure you have the right number of investors. You have to make sure your investors are accredited. You have to have a reasonable basis upon which to do that. There are a list of things which um, uh, Jason and the other members of of this call are quite familiar with because they're using best practices. Uh, So be careful. And then the other aspect is the privacy issues. Make sure you're dealing with a secure site. Make sure that your information is going to be held uh, appropriately. If, If not, if you don't have those good feelings, don't invest online. There's no reason you can't do something physical if you like a deal. But my view is whether they'll take your money or not is another thing. But make sure that when you are dealing with sites that they are uh, the real deal, as the folks on this call are. And, uh, of course, if, they, if there's a problem of any of them, I'm sure they'll turn to me. <laughs> Steve? I'll probably echo some of the uh, earlier comments. You know, what can go wrong with a with deep, dark space? I think the, uh, the one concern... And looking at the industry, as uh, one of the gents 
um, commented is do deals uh, that may not get funded normally get funded in the crowd space? You know, is there going to be a, you know, a sentiment of adverse selection uh, within uh, within some of these crowdfunding platforms. If a deal goes sideways, it'll be really interesting to see what happens, you know, how the risk is mitigated, how it's remedied. You know, is it the sponsor? Is it the platform? Who, who bears the responsibility? Uh, there's some concern that there is a fiduciary responsibility at the platform level above and beyond the, the, uh, uh, the sponsors or the developers. You know, what does that bode for the uh, the platforms? Are they setting aside legal reserves for you know, maybe some lawsuit that comes out because Grandma Moses lost, you know, her, you know, $2,000? And do you have an ambulance chasing attorney come after the platform? So I think that's one of the one of the concerns I would have. Uh, this is this is Lou Feldman. I, I want to add on to that because I think it's important. Um, Earlier this year, the Washington State, or in 2014, pardon me, the Washington State Attorney General brought an action against Altius Management. And and according to the complaint, Altius used a crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter, to obtain investment in a venture that would create and sell playing cards featuring artwork by a particular artist. I believe he was Serbian. Um, I don't think it was Vladi Divac. Altius Altius promised that investors would receive a bunch of awards, um, like a deck of cards, and they got 25,000 in funding, and then Washington alleged that Altius never produced the the cards and they refused to refund the amounts that the investors said, give me my money back for. And so Washington sued Altius under a statute up there that prohibits, like we have in most states, false and fraudulent or misleading statements. Um, The Washington didn't invoke state or federal security laws in its complaint though, because they were dealing with a product. They weren't dealing with securities. But the interesting note and the reason that I interrupted um, the speaker was that Washington um, sued the company obtaining the investments, but not Kickstarter. Um, Whether there's a theory under which the crowdfunding platform could also be held liable for the fraudulent statements um, is completely unexplored at this point. Nobody has seen that occur yet, but it's a risk that, as was stated, does have to be considered because future litigation exploring that possibility is just inevitable. Thank you. Yeah, I think, yeah, I guess my view is that the platforms are somewhat analogous to investment banks who are offering securities, and there is a, a, a certain liability that they uh, uh, they are exposed to, and I, I personally see the platform sort of in that same, same vein. Um, I think one of the other things to observe, which uh, uh, will impact the, the crowd space is, you know, much like the peer-to-peer lending platforms, the Prospers and the Lending Clubs, about 80% of their capital now is coming from institutions as opposed to individuals. And I think that's sort of a trend that we'll see that the crowd itself is being redefined and not necessarily the retail investor, the, the, you know, John and Mary Doe unaccredited. I think the crowd platforms will evolve into providing better access, you know, transparent and efficient access to a lot of the institutional players. Um, one of the things that may happen because so many of the institutional players are building capacity and capabilities in-house, um, they're moving further away from sort of the typical, you know, two and twenty model in terms of investing in a limited partnership, not co-investment rights. They want to participate directly in deals without the, 
uh, management fees and the carry. So I actually think the the crowd, as I said, is going to be redefined. Is that going to squeeze out the smaller investor? Well, we're seeing it certainly in the uh, the peer-to-peer space where the better deals algorithmically are being allocated to the uh, uh, to the the larger players. Um, the other gentleman commented on Title Three and certainly Title Four. You know, Title Three, I I don't believe will be resolved by the end of the year. Uh, I know the SEC's had a, a number of discussions about redefining what's accredited and what's not, certainly raising the bar in terms of net worth and income levels is one. But also they're talking about, you know, if you have the requisite knowledge or educational background, even though you are non-accredited, you can participate in these offerings. Um, I think there's, you know, there is going to be movement. Maybe that's the course that non-accredited play is that they have to have some level of educational background or, or, experiential background to play. But I think that the SEC um, is somewhat uh, uh, limited in their their uh, their approach in terms of letting John Q. Public invest, which is in a lot of respects fairly ironic and antithetical in the respect that if a sponsor or a developer uh, who is unaccredited themselves are putting money into the deal or such as a homeowner, putting a down payment on a piece of property, they don't have to be accredited. They're buying sort of for their own account. However, if someone co-invests in the same in the same way as the sponsor or the developer under the securities law, that represents a security and they do have to be um, accredited. Again, I think there's an irony there. Um, what what else might happen? Um, I th- you know, I, I think that's a, you know, a couple points. Jason, I'd like to ask a follow-up question to you based on what you said earlier. And after you respond, if, if anybody else has um, some thoughts, you know, love, would love to hear them. You'd mentioned how uh, states will drive um, some of some of this and uh, start developing their own rules. You, you'd mentioned Texas in particular for projects less than a million unaccredited, unaccredited investors um, can invest. Uh, do you think... It's going to turn out some, and you'd also mentioned where marijuana in your in your um, response, um, and that made me think, uh, you know, for states like Colorado and uh, I think Washington and maybe Alaska that legalized marijuana and did something rather at the time seem extreme and perhaps still does. Um, do you think other states will try and one up each other? in hopes of driving the economy more, and that would result in um, just kind of like the Wild West of the different types of projects. And at some point, the you know pretty much the regulations get teared down in the, the last state standing that has won up through other states. Uh, Joe, I, I actually think that's, that's very reasonable. I, I'm glad you made that correlation between the two. It's a bit controversial, but I think you're going to see a development similar to what we've seen, um, not to overuse this analogy, but in, in medical marijuana. Um, you, you saw some very, very strict federal prohibitions against it when California started offering medical marijuana certain uh, areas. The, the feds would come in and still particular uh, fashion and raid uh, those establishments, despite the fact that there were state laws allowing it. But eventually, after Colorado and Washington and other states kind of picked up that ball and ran with it, the federal government has taken a much, much more relaxed approach to it. We built that critical mass on the state level, 
and uh, the federal government is, is reacting to it. And I think that uh, you know it's, it's a bit of a controversial area here, and I don't want to uh, align ourselves too much with this particular industry. But I think yes, you may uh, see your attorney. I advise you not to do that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, Lou. Thank you. Uh, but I do want to, uh, to 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 draw that correlation as well with the state. The states want to protect their unaccredited investors, and in doing so, they're taking the lead in setting up new crowdfunding laws that will be able to work with their accredited investors that, that make sense for the, the inhabitants of that particular state. And as more and more states continue to learn from the other states that have made this move, I, I think you're going to start to see the federal government really start to take a look at the result of, of those initiatives and start relaxing their own protections, their, their own uh, um, uh, laws. Right now, they're so burdensome right now, and for good reason. Nobody wants to be sold snake oil over the internet and, and lose folks' money. Um, but as we start to see that the wisdom of the crowd is a real thing, as we start to be able to see you know, that that um, people do have the ability to make financial decisions for themselves without having to be previously wealthy in the first place, and that having access to a huge amount of capital in, in the first place doesn't necessarily make those people uh, you know, financially sophisticated, I think we're going to start to see you know, on the, the federal level some uh, um, you know, relaxation of of, uh, of their concerns. I think we're going to see that critical mass really picked up at the state level and pushed back to to the federal level. Uh, ironically, it was uh, you know, it was the uh, the federal regulations in the first place that are prompting the states to start moving forward. And I think we're going to see kind of a you know a rubber banding effect back and forth to really move this forward. All right. So knowing what you all know now, I've got one last question and we're running short on time. So um, I want to be you know, respectful of your time and then also the best ever listeners time because I know um, they're probably at the gym or, or driving around and, and you're probably at your destination now, but probably waiting in the parking lot, um, waiting to finish this awesome episode. So last question for the group and we'll go in order starting with Jason. Knowing what you know now, knowing what we talked about, what is your one piece of advice for the best ever listener um, in the crowdfunding space as they get started? Uh, knowing what I know now, um, I would say do your research. I would say that uh, you have a great opportunity to get in early into what I, I truly believe is going to be the next big thing in, in real estate. And if there's been some projects that, that you've been looking at, but you just weren't sure how to get them funded in the past, take a look now. Uh, make sure you've got all your numbers in order. Make sure you've got your plan in place and, and do your research on, on platforms like mine. Um, but uh, it, it's an exciting time and, and uh, start taking a look at it early. George? Sure. I uh, do due diligence on the platforms, do due diligence on the operators. And if you're investing, maybe start out with something like debt, you know, not equity, maybe the lower returns, get comfortable with um, with a more modest amount of money on a on a more careful investment, or I should say more prudent investment, the, you'll see 10% or 8% on debt on a first mortgage, and then you'll see some equity deal where you can get 13, 14, 15, 18%, and you'll say, hey, you know, it's easy. I can do the math. Let me take the higher one. And the higher one, you know, those are all, everything's a projection return. I think debt is more predictable. And as you start understanding the market better and what you're investing in, certainly go for the, uh, the riskier deals, the extent you, you can stomach them, but realize the reason they're paying a greater return is because there's a greater risk. And that's, you know, that's with anything, but I think it's here, you have a great deal of ability to learn what the risks are that dictate your returns. And so be, be cognizant of that. I would say I have four pieces of advice, not just one. The first one is 
look for compliant sites, sites with experienced folks running them, and sites where the product that's offered is underwritten, in effect, um, looked at carefully, the numbers, the assumptions, and with those kinds of quality sites, uh, Obama went to um, Saudi Arabia recently and uh, uh, he introduced his wife as the first lady and uh, the Saudi uh, king in, uh, introduced uh, his wives, the first lady, the second lady, the third lady. Um, that's the way crowdfunding is. There are quality people. You can have a harem of great sites where you can invest. You're, you don't have to go just for the one big site, but make sure all of them share the common characteristic of compliance. Then the third, uh, second, third, and fourth bits of information that I want to give people are um, third uh, or, or second, uh, eat well, then uh, exercise and make good choices. That's my fourth piece of advice. <laughs> well, well, I, I'm going to leave two or three and four alone, but I have a quick follow-up question. You said look for sites that are compliant. H how the heck does somebody know just looking on the internet if, this, if the platform's compliant and what the heck do they need to comply in? Well, I think that's a great question. Look at how the trades are executed and with whom uh, they're affiliated. Uh, the other thing is get to know the platforms. Call them up. Talk to them. Uh, see who's uh, who's real and and see who seems uh, less organized and maybe perhaps on an earlier part of the growth of their company uh, and uh, don't be afraid to do that but uh, once you find a good site and you see that they have policies in place I think people will get more comfortable Steve I think I have a lot of the same perspective as the other gentleman I think it's important for an investor to uh, uh, take a look and compare different sites, uh, look at how they disclose opportunities, the, the nature of those opportunities. Many investors, it, it becomes tough to analyze um, this deal versus that deal. Uh, I think it's really important for uh, platforms to have some sort of educational content. You know, what are risks that you should look for? Um, you, know, you know, risk and return sort of go together. Uh, so education, analytics, you know, third-party, you know, testimony. Uh, as as one individual, you know, one gentleman said, is yeah, look, you know, play around on you know four, five, six, seven sites and see what uh, you know what you feel would make you a better investor in terms of the engagement, in terms of the content, uh, the execution, and then certainly over the course of time. Uh, much like investment banks, um, which which platforms have good success in terms of the product that they uh, they tee up and it performs successfully. So I, I I don't think that you know an allegiance to one makes makes a lot of sense. Certainly on all all the platforms, you'd like to have repeat visitors, repeat customers. But I think for the investor standpoint, at this nascent stage of the market, is to dabble around and, and look at different. Uh, different platforms and see what, you know, what, uh, uh, you know, rings your bell. Gentlemen, thank you so much for sharing your advice with the, the best ever listeners and talking about the future of crowdfunding, because this truly is a game changer. I mean, as, as you all mentioned um, in different forms and fashion that, the this this is crowdfunding is is while we're talking about real estate specifically it's much broader than that and 
Um, yeah, I know, Jason, you mentioned in particular where, you know, the different types of companies that really need equity, really need really need money, um, they're going to start looking for, for crowdfunding even more so um, in the future as the regulations um, continue to evolve and the states leading the charge. You know, and and the two things that I, I got out of this conversation, although there, are, although there are many, but I was just typing as quickly as I can with my notes, is uh, the landmines for um, what could sidetrack this whole operation, or at least take it in a slightly different direction than uh, where it's at now, would be the laws, number one, and if things actually pass as we anticipate them to. Um, and then also lousy deals, laws and lousy deals, those are the two, because word of mouth, as, as you all know, and the best ever listeners know, that's the number one way of marketing that's the number one way that we um, that influences our purchasing decision quite frankly if somebody talks about uh, something we're much more likely to participate in it than if uh, we find look see an ad or um, find it through some other means and um, so really focusing in on the quality deal so uh, putting myself and uh, the best ever listener shoes because I I am a best ever listener as well from a profile standpoint I, I'm looking at it as an investor where this is something that I want to start um, gaining traction, traction in, and participating in. Whether it's even um, from somebody lending money, as uh, George said, with his advice on how do you get started. Perhaps you do um, start with a debt investment um, on a crowdfunding platform. You get to know how, what it looks like from that perspective, and then as your real estate business evolves or um, once you become comfortable, then you start bringing your own deals to the platform um, now that you've established that relationship. And at that point, you really don't need to qualify the platform a whole lot because you've already got that established relationship and you've seen what it's like from a, from the other side of the table. And that would be a good transition for uh, bring your deals on. And then one, one of the things that you mentioned, Lou, um, was international investing getting bigger and bigger. And the two implications there that we need to look out for would be the tax implications and then money laundering. And uh, with international investing, I mean, my gosh, right now, I know um, how only 8% of the U.S. Um, are accredited investors. So once that opens up, more so to everybody else that that's just going to open up the floodgates and then when you bring in international investors it's it's so obvious to to know why this is such a hot space and why uh george i read your article in huffington post where um you you know and you referenced it a little bit here where there are so many uh, crowdfunding platforms popping up all over the place i think there are eight uh ten of them 18 months ago six of them are 50 of them six months ago. Now there are 75 and 15 are about to launch. And that's why, because there, there's so much potential out there. And as a, as a best ever listener, um, I, I highly recommend getting involved in this space now because now is the time to act with crowdfunding um, so that we can start gaining that track record because really it boils down to just the basics of fundamental business. And that is um, establish track record, establish a reputation, build up that track record reputation and you'll get bigger and better with the type of opportunities that you come across. And with a crowdfunding platform, my gosh, all you have to do is build that track record and the funding's going to come along with it. So it's really a matter of just getting going, getting started as with all things is, is just the first step is taking action. So thank you everybody for participating and uh, best ever listeners. Thank you so much for spending time with this group. Um, really excited about next Sunday. We're going to uh, listen 
uh, in on the, the title of episodes from start to finish. Here's how to do a crowdfunded deal. And we're going to talk through the challenges, surprises, and detailed process of how to do a crowdfunded deal. And I'm not going to talk about it. We're going to have someone who's actually done a crowdfunded deal walk you through that process with a patch of land representative. So thank you so much, everyone, and much appreciated. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Hey, you, best ever listener. Do you want more? Then go to joefairless.com, where you'll get tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And remember to subscribe to the best ever show in iTunes, so you can keep getting your daily dose of the best real estate investing advice ever.